Welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia Magazine's podcast. I'm Hattie Crisell and each week I speak to women worth listening to, asking them to share six pieces of advice they really value and the worst piece of advice they've ever received. My guest this week is Katie Piper. She's done so many great projects in the last few years that it's hard to know where to start. But one of my favourites is her own podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. She's written several books, including most recently Confidence, The Journal, and she also runs the Katie Piper Foundation, which supports people affected by burns and scarring. She really is an extraordinary person herself, and I couldn't wait to hear her advice. If you enjoy the podcast today, do share your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag Grazia Life Advice. But for now, over to Katie. Katie, welcome to the Grazia Life Advice podcast. Thank you. So <laughs> lovely to have you here. And I've been listening to your podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People, which oh, great. I just love. The last one I listened to was Debbie Douglas, who was talking about her three decades as a foster parent. Yeah, she's an amazing woman. Yeah. Just incredible. And so many people, I'm sure, just know her as the mum of Lydia on Towie. Yeah, and she's just done so many amazing things. I mean, I came away from that interview thinking, I should be an emergency foster carer. I should really do it. It, you know she yeah. really just had a big influence on me and and the feedback on Instagram and online a lot of people have been quite touched by it and people that are in care listening to it said it moved them themselves as well I'm sure and I'm sure a lot of people came away from it thinking oh maybe that is something I could do like, yeah do you know it was really funny right? I went to her house to do the podcast and I'd had one of those like flappy mornings where like things <laughs> had gone wrong you'd missed a parcel and had the card it was just like a silly morning and I turned up ready to be like oh I've had a nightmare day and then she started telling me about drug addicted teenagers she fosters how she's oh got like God. seven people in the house how she on Christmas day picked up a baby from the hospital and had to go back and cook Christmas dinner and then I was a bit like oh yes um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> probably won't mention my problems I've had yeah. today <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it just made me think when you think you're overburdened and overloaded you're really not compared yeah. to other people's lives yeah that's so god I could do with a daily reminder of that so why did you start the podcast? Tell me a bit more about the thinking behind it. It actually came from Instagram and also everyday life because I've been so open about sort of traumatic things in my life. A lots of people will approach me in DM, in the comments section of Instagram, but also in person. They'll come up to me in a restaurant and they'll just start telling me sometimes amazing stories sometimes awful stories that are hard to hear and it's been happening for like basically 10 years it's a bit like being a hairdresser where everyone opens up to you and then on the other side of that people will message me with wanting to know the answer to help them with anxiety with depression low confidence and sometimes the people with the amazing stories with the amazing endings I thought god if you could get these two parties of people together they could help one another so the podcast is a platform for that it's not a platform for celebs we've had celebrities on there but that's a byproduct that's not why they've come on so it's normal people but with extraordinary stories that hopefully it gives people answers life lessons coping mechanisms and also it's cheesy but inspiration yeah it's incredibly inspirational what have been some of your favorites I know it's difficult to pick but yeah I mean they've all been completely different from one another and sometimes you can have all these notes, you can prep, you can Google people, but then stuff starts to come out in the conversation naturally that you didn't know about them. My first ever podcast, which, you know, you're really nervous when it's your first one, it was the, uh, she's kind of insta famous, the Clean Living Alice. Okay. So she goes by Alice Living now and she's been on the front cover of Women's Health. She blogs, she does these hit videos. And I wanted to talk 
talked to her about being on social media and body image and body confidence. But what came out in the conversation was that she'd actually had a relationship where she'd been subjected to domestic violence. Mm. And that had actually made her originally start blogging and getting into learning about her body and trying to get higher self-esteem and putting her fitness journey online. And then this whole business and this whole thing manifested out of that. But all the while she was trying to get away from a coercive, controlling situation. So, yeah, it was really inspiring and interesting. I mean, then I've had Johnny Benjamin. So for me, I wanted to get a good mixture of men and women because usually my audience is primarily female. And he um, had made a documentary of Channel 4 called The Man on the Bridge. I don't know if you remember it. He tried to jump off Waterloo Bridge and a stranger had talked him down. And then he did this campaign on Facebook to find the stranger and track him down to thank him. And he did thank him. Um, But he's had problems of anxiety and depression his whole life. And he related it back to the age of three. Mm. And I was like, wow, isn't that crazy that you could remember that far back and remember your emotions and your thoughts. And he'd struggled with voices in his head. And also he'd actually struggled with being honest about his sexuality as well. And it was the first podcast I cried in. Because he was really honest saying that, you know, people think you do this doc and everything's fine. But even after the documentary, he had gone on to struggle again and get sectioned again in a psychiatric ward. So he was very honest about how reoccurring like the problems can be. Yeah, I think that's so important, isn't it? Because as you say, if you see one of those TV shows, you can have this impression that there's a kind of happily ever after. And actually life isn't really like that. It's often much more back and forth and up and down. Yeah, especially with people talking about mental health, sometimes because some people still feel embarrassed, they might only talk about it in past tense. So they might be more uncomfortable to say, this is happening now, or this comes back and does still happen. Like, I can't say this about everyone, but for me, I feel like it's something you live with always, but it's the manageability. Mm. So like for me, I know the problems that I've had are always there, but it's like recognising signs and, and knowing how to control it. Yeah. I know that you've got loads of projects on the go, but another one I wanted to mention was the Happy Healthy Mum Plan, yeah, which I know is going really well. So tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, that kind of stemmed from another one of my interests is fitness. Um, you know, partly, of course, for the aesthetics of if you, you know, for me, if I fit into my clothes and I'm slim, I'm sort of all around happier and able to express myself through, through fashion. But also it's a lot to do with mental health. So I did a lot of running and I entered some half marathons for my charity the Katie Piper Foundation. And I felt like, you know, scientifically, we know it helps with the release of endorphins, but a sense of control over my body and the way that I feel. So I actually made a manual all about mindfulness, meditation, fitness, nutrition, different recipes. um, And that's the Healthy Happy Mum plan. But also when you buy the plan, it goes into a sort of support network. So I made an online hub, a forum where you join and you can talk to other members. So it's supposed to be kind of a community community rather than just a weight loss thing yeah and do you practice mindfulness and all of that on a regular basis I try but I think it's really hard yeah I for me I have to have visual prompts affirmation cards I have to read books I have to set reminders I have to use apps and consciously be disciplined I'm actually starting a course for um, TM meditation because I think it's I want it to come naturally for me but at the moment it doesn't I wrote down some goals in my journal for the year and that was one of them to put more time and effort in consciously doing these things. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you bring up journals because that, I know, is the subject of your first piece of good advice today. Yes. So, <laughs> so let's start on the advice. Tell me about number one. 
So number one um, was journaling. So because of smartphones, we do a lot of like writing in the notes section or screenshotting stuff. And we never really put pen to paper. And, you know, there's a little part of our brain that if we go and express something through written word, we're more likely to remember it and act upon it. So I try to journal. It doesn't have to be like traditional diarying every day, but it's journaling down things. And sometimes we can be guilty of either only journaling goals And if we don't meet them, we never document that. If we meet them, we do document that. But I think it's really important to make a more well-rounded picture of journaling the good and the bad. And then if you did that for a whole month, you could read back through it and make notes by it and recognise patterns. And then you'd be able to pick up on your behaviour patterns. So I would know that if I drink to excess, then I destroy all nutrition and fitness ideas the following week because I'm hungover, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm tired. And I am able to recognise those negative patterns and therefore make amends and change it. Yeah. So if I just document like I got a job today and it went well, or I got good sales figures on a book, that's really nice, but it doesn't really help me plan anything else or plan any future success kind of like the negative things help me plan more than anything and I know as a society we're taught like no negativity we need positivity but you actually need both to understand how you reach both yeah well it's just about being a bit more real and a bit more honest isn't it it's it's not all about the high points definitely like when I was dating like you would be encouraged like oh that date went wrong his loss forget him but sometimes you think well well no maybe not why did it go wrong like maybe I wasn't my authentic self because I was nervous uh maybe I dressed in a way I wouldn't normally dress or maybe I went for the wrong type of person just through a picture and so sometimes all the kind of faults are helpful to kind of dissect I think yeah you have another book Confidence the Journal that came out quite recently yeah so I assume that that is built around this sort of system. Yeah, I mean, I I wrote a self-help book called Confidence and I wrote that with psychologists and that was lots of case studies and practical professional advice. And one of the things I talked about in that book was how a therapist like 10 years ago told me to journal and it was really like small changes in my medical journey. And then I've just carried that on for years through my, it's helped me reach successes in my professional life. It helped me with my confidence in dating. So I decided to release my own journal and it's got space for you to participate in there, but it's also got prompts. So it will give you mental and physical exercises to do. It will give you bullet points to fill out, goals to achieve, some quotes, some affirmations of encouragement and also at the end of each month a space to dissect what happened that month and I think quite cringeworthy tasks to make you do because it's not not British so it will give you a task mid-month to have coffee with somebody and ask them you know three things about you that they like and actually dislike as well whereas if normally you might meet for coffee and just moan and bitch about people you know yeah Um, so it's kind of getting you to do productive things that are going to help you yeah it sounds great I mean I'm not sure I want to hear three things that people don't like about me but maybe I should hear them probably will hear them on Twitter yeah push yourself outside your comfort zone yeah (laughs) so your second piece of advice tell me about that so this is all about using haste you know not kind of acting impulsively um, which lots of us do because everything's at our fingertips everything's real time and instant so particularly I was going to say particularly in business but I think in social and um, personal life as well we shouldn't just bang out replies on technology so whether that's email or social media or text message I always think write a reply reread delete write again because usually that first write is like emotionally vomiting you know yeah 
then rewrite, reread, click save to drafts, either go to sleep if it's the evening, if it's the daytime, go about the rest of your working day. And then if you need to reply, you know, before 5pm, go back to it at about 4.30 and reread that and, and say to yourself, do I really still feel like that? Do I really want to communicate in that way? Do I really want that to be my last word on that subject? And if you do, then send. If you don't, delete the whole thing and just let it go or rewrite some of it. And that for me has helped me not sabotage so many things in my life. I used to be a real self-sabotager and it was um, really unhelpful to the point where I was the most toxic relationship I had in my life. You know, and often we look and think other people are sabotaging or scuppering our chances, but often it's our response and the way we deal with people on impulse. Yeah, it's so funny you say that. I've definitely noticed with myself that in the moments where I feel no I have to say this right now those are the moments where I need to step back and and wait and think about it yeah because that's when it's almost like my emotional reaction is overriding my rational Mm -hmm. thought yeah Um, and it could be with people we know in real life and loved ones or like you said Twitter it could be with strangers you know and you could instantly see red or disagree quite strongly but also there's this whole thing of like does it really matter does some stuff even warrant a reply Maybe not. Like, if it was the olden days where you would have had to handwritten that out, walked to the post office, got a stamp, I don't think you would reply, you know? You'd just let it go. Yeah, absolutely. You really would. Yeah. Your third piece of advice is also relating to social media. You just mentioned Twitter there. So I love this. It's um, it's an analogy. Tell me. So this, for me, was a big January thing of, like, I use social a lot. I'm mainly talking about Instagram. I suppose Twitter as well. And sometimes you come on and you get... There's some people that are really supportive and great. Then there's the usual kind of cynics, critics, people that will moan about anything. Then there's rude people. Then there's showy off people that make those comparisons and make you feel low about yourself. And it's like, hang on a minute. You've got the login. The handle is usually your name. You've got that password. So treat it like you're the owner of a restaurant. You would have really good waiting staff, polite concierge, great food, good background music and it'd be a restaurant that you'd want to have lunch in every single day and you're eating there for free so you can do that you know you definitely wouldn't have some rude ignorant barman some critical person working in the cloakroom dreadful music you don't even like (laughs) and food that's disgusting and leaves you feeling disappointed every time yeah you know so I, I treated it like a restaurant I went in in January I unfollowed some people that politically I can't unfollow because I might work with them or something. <laughs> I put them on mute so I don't have to see them because they're toxic. And I just changed things up a bit, you know, yeah. um, and started being who I want to be in the restaurant, being myself, you know, and it's better. So when I go on and, you know, I am going to be scrolling the first time I wake up. It's not a good thing to do, but at least let me scroll through a crowd of people in my restaurant that I welcome, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Are you somebody who will block people if, they're, you know, if you get unwelcome comments and that kind of thing? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, especially if it's just kind of like those empty trolling accounts. Yeah. Um, or if they've been horrible to other followers I have. Like, a lot of my followers have been through things themselves and might not have as thick skin as me and they've been, like, personally attacked. So I'll block people. I think the etiquette of that is fine, you know. I mean, I'd even block people I'd see in real life because I don't necessarily use social to communicate with people I see in real life because I see them anyway, so... Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I could block, like, my mum or anyone. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think, yeah, if somebody's going to be rude, then they've kind of got it coming. I think what's more tricky is when it's... Yeah, when it's somebody who you 
really wish you hadn't followed in the first place but it's like how do I step oh, away from this without them it's taking so awkward and, yeah. yeah but and Muted is ingenious Muted actually. is really good if it's someone that's like really narcissistic and it's doing your head in but it's not a valid reason to unfollow I think Mute is really good and also the less you click on their profile the less the algorithm will start showing you their feed so that's a good thing but you know a couple of people I unfollowed have DM'd me being like oh you've unfollowed me and I'm like Oh, no. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so awkward, isn't it? Oh, God. <laughs> um, your fourth piece of advice, success is whatever we frame it to be. Explain what you mean by that. So when I was young, kind of like early 20s, and this is before millennials and before people made money on the internet. You know, I'm nearly 36. So in career meetings at school, when I, you know, we're talking in the 90s, right? We were told success was something completely different. And for me, it was you had to be academic and you had to go to uni to get a salary above a certain amount. And anyone that hadn't gone to uni would be on a low income and would never be successful. Or if you came from a wealthy family that would invest in you or put you within the family business. So I didn't have either of those. I didn't go to uni and I come from a regular, normal family. Um, so I just always resigned myself that I will never be successful. And it wasn't like a sad thing. It was just like, I knew that it was impossible. There was no like aspirational role models and teachers wouldn't be like, you could be whoever you want to be. It was literally like, well, you can't be an engineer. You can't be a doctor. You can't be a lawyer. I think I was told to be a hairdresser when I left school and that was it. And that's what I did at college. So I definitely would have always been unsuccessful if that was my frame of thought. But when I look at life now, I think success means so many different things to so many different people. And when I got into my mid twenties, success for me was if I get discharged from this hospital and learn to swallow if I can improve my eyesight if I could ever move out of my parents home into like independent living this will be a massive success and the goalposts for success kept changing and changing in my life all the time until I made myself successful in my head so it wasn't about society's view or my parents or any of those expectations it was my own expectation that I was putting on myself and now you know we can be entrepreneurs from home we can be working mums we can work from home as mothers and you know women setting up craft businesses from home makes them massively successful and we're not necessarily saying on what profit they're making it's the fact that they're self-starting people who've done something in their lives and you know success is being a mother it's yeah. being so many different things um, and that's one thing that's great for young people now and that millennial generation is success looks like so many different things and there's so much more access. Yeah. I mean, what you've achieved is absolutely incredible. Do you work incredibly hard? Do you work long hours? Is it a slog sometimes? Yeah, I work really hard and um, really long hours. And sometimes my marriage suffers. Sometimes my relationship with my children suffers. Sometimes my health suffers. And other times when I can't get work, sometimes I suffer and panic, you know. Yeah. So it's a total, you know, the scales are always unbalanced in that way. And like I said, I don't have privileged background. After I was attacked, I was on disability benefit and job seekers allowance. So I've really ridden the wave of like the two extremes. But then in other ways, I've been fortunate enough to buy my own house in my 20s, which lots of people are not in that position. And I really, really appreciate being in that position so yeah you know I can feel successful some days and other days I can feel like a loser yeah <laughs> you know it really is a, it isn't a fixed feeling I, re I really believe I know lots of people equate success to wealth and what you have in the bank but you can still have money in the bank and feel like a loser absolutely you know? 
So in terms of when you look at the future, you know, what do you hope for? What's your idea of success? Hmm. Well, I suppose for me, like my passions lie more in my charity because lots of the patients that are coming on are at the beginning of a journey I've walked and there were loads of gaps in that journey. So success for me would be changing that journey for them because we can't ever eradicate like scarring is a visible permanent thing, but we can improve the outcomes so that if somebody got facially disfigured or badly burnt, it wouldn't mean the same thing it meant 20 years ago. Kind of like, you know, I don't want to diminish anyone else's disability, but what losing a limb meant 50 years ago to what it means now, like we see completely different modern prosthetics that people are doing sport in. We see fashion models on the runway in like gold glittery prosthetic leg. And you know, of course it's still a very difficult life for somebody to live, but it's such a different life to what it was back then. And that for me would be success if we could change that for Burns and we could see people in films cast as the sexy desirable person who has a disfigurement not as the baddie not as the scary one absolutely well I think you've done a huge amount for that already in this country I hope it keeps going you know I'm sure it will so on to your fifth piece of advice tell me about this so this one was about the problem never being bigger than we are. And I suppose different things happen to us all of, of different levels of severity, but it's all relevant to us. You know, what might be severe to one person isn't to the next and vice versa. And I genuinely believe the problem is never bigger than we are unless we allow it to be. We see people running like ultra marathons. We see people battling all kinds of problems that we can't even comprehend how they finished that sporting achievement or how they overcame that problem or that heartache. But they did. And sometimes even they're astonished too. And they say it wasn't physical body. It was just sheer desperation, determinedness and that gut, you know. And I really believe that in life that, you know, we talk sometimes about, oh, I'd love to see in the future or I'd love to do time travel or people that go to tarot readers. And I think I don't want to know the future because if people in the past had told me the future, I would have been weaker and said oh I can't do that I can't deal with that and sometimes if it's thrust upon us we can bloom and blossom and grow bigger and keep kind of pushing it back and being bigger sure we'll have moments when we don't feel bigger and we feel like surrendering and momentarily it's okay to retreat and surrender but it's a British thing of as long as we keep going and keep chipping away we can become bigger than the problem eventually do you think that's a British thing it is because it's like the way we're taught I know we talk more about mental health now, but we're not like the Americans. We we like to be like stiff up a lip. We like to carry on. There's a pride in sort of just dragging yourself through it, isn't there? You <laughs> it's know, like we, blitz spirit. Or, yeah, yeah, we go to work ill and all snotty and just, yeah, we just get on with it. And like some of that's good. Not all of it, but some of it, that resilience is good. Yeah. Are you somebody who tries to kind of concentrate on one problem at a time or are you someone who tries to, plan everything as far ahead as you can um I think actually like you know there's that saying of tell God your plans and he'll laugh you know because we can't like it's not in our hands we can't really plan and also lots of people have many different problems all at once quite often but I suppose um a piece of advice someone gave me was worry about today get through today and when tomorrow comes 
that will take care of itself. And I think that's very true. You know, anxiety kind of manifests from going, oh my God, and what about this person's reaction to that? And what if this happens on Friday? And then what will I do next year and next month? And you're like, you know what? It hasn't even arrived. And having anxiety about it won't control it any further. Yeah. So really, you just have to live in the present tense because that's all we ever really have. Yeah. Speaking of present tenses, your sixth piece of advice is about time. Yeah, so we are obsessed with so many things um, being the most valuable currency. So lots of us might think our presentation, our body, our face is the most powerful thing we can give to the world. A lot of people will think finances is the most important thing to accumulate and will give us the most happiness. But really, time is the most valuable currency. And you know, if somebody gives you their time, it's the biggest compliment. You know, somebody sending you a gift through the post and not meeting up with you in person is when you've been ill or lost something important, you'll kind of realise that's quite worthless, really. Um, and you can collect all these things. And then if one day you find out you've got like, a few weeks to live, all of that becomes devalued, mm. literally. So, yeah, it's such a valuable currency. Nothing will buy it back. No one can do it for you or loan it to you. Only you can be there in person in real time. So don't waste time as well. You know, we go around like sometimes another British thing, being like a yes person and not wanting to be rude to people and often finding yourself committing to things or being in situations where you think, I don't really want to be here. Yeah. Why did I say yes to this? I don't want to do this. You know, I don't know if it's more of a female thing because we're maybe traditionally more brought up to sort of be sympathetic and not rude which is another point I'll I'll go on to but yeah I mean I made it a resolution you know there's that book the life-changing magic of not giving an F-U-C-K yeah we had Sarah Knight on this oh I love her yeah Yeah. (laughs) and she kind of works on that principle doesn't she and actually there's something great about not even having to explain and just going no thanks that's not for me initially some people might feel a bit like oh but that's only because they haven't got the balls to be like that and then you kind of just get known in the group as the person that oh if they don't want to come they'll just say and people kind of respect you for that yeah I definitely have friends who are like that my friend's husband in particular and we always laugh because if he's not enjoying something he'll just go bye I'm going home yeah literally we're always like that's so great because you always know that if he's there it's because he's really enjoying it and if he isn't he'll go mm-hmm. and I wish I had the balls frankly to to do that sometimes I think the more you start doing it the easier it gets to keep doing it and I feel like with people like your friend's husband you always feel like I know where I stand with that person they definitely wouldn't talk about me behind my back they definitely wouldn't pretend to me they're not fluffy like I know who they are and I think that's a really good quality to have like, you know, I've got a friend that will, like, leave a group chat. You know when group chats are really annoying? And they'll just be like, this group chat's annoying. And they'll just leave. And I'm like, God, that's inspirational, right? Like, you know? How many group chats are you in that you're just like, oh, lol, laughing face? You know, it's yeah. just... Yeah, let's all go away from this conversation today and just have a look at our group chats and see if there's any that we can leave. You have to leave at least one group chat after listening to this podcast. Yeah, it's a good girl. (laughs) Okay, so that brings us on to your piece of bad advice, which I found really inspiring. So tell us about this. Yeah, this isn't blaming anybody. Like This isn't about my own mother or anything like that. This is about society in general. And this could go back as far as books and videos and all the things that were around when I was young and even slogans on clothing. And it was, you know, boys are kind of brought up to be bold, fearless, say what they want, take charge. And girls are brought up to be people pleasers and kind and polite. And, you know, almost like, don't make a fuss, don't be rude or be nice if you just went along with this. And it's about this kind of fitting in and not being like 
not being visible almost, you know, and, and being a people pleaser. And I don't think that's a good thing to teach people because, you know, in a bigger sense, like look at the whole Me Too movement. It's because women are kind of like things are happening and you're a bit like, oh, this is a bit weird. I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to make the other person feel embarrassed. And it's like, why? That's what they're doing to you. And it doesn't make us a bad person or rude. And we shouldn't really lose our job for saying, oh, this is a bit weird. But as a sex, we are brought up to feel like, don't be a nuisance, you know? And I feel like, now's a great time for women and I'm really glad but I wish it had been like that early on yeah. you know and I know lots of people are shocked by some people's stories on the hashtag and some of these revelations but there are lots of us that are like no I'm not shocked no, I've, I've, I think yeah. very few women are shocked yeah they? I know some people are like oh god another person with their story yeah it's only like that because we've all worked for people where we know if we say certain things or don't go along with certain things we wouldn't be part of that team anymore mm. so you know, and I'm not saying we've all got a rape story or anything like that. It's not necessarily about physical things happening. I mean, it is for some people, but it's just a culture we're talking about, yeah. you know? And, you know, not that we are to blame, but maybe if we'd been taught a different way, we could have stamped the culture out. I think they're trying to stamp the culture out now, but I would definitely teach my daughter to speak up, to be loud, to be heard. And, you know, the fear of making a fool of yourself or being embarrassed or offending somebody, it doesn't matter. In the long run, it really doesn't matter, does it? If you offend somebody over being sexually harassed, I don't really care. Do you feel like at this stage in your life you're more assertive than you've ever been? I am, but I think it's because we're more empowered. Like, Like, we have a platform. Even if you're not a celebrity, you do have a platform for social media. You have more representation. You have people speaking out as role models. So... I think back then, if you'd said something, like you would have been seen as stupid and not got employed or seen as like a troublemaker even, you know? I mean, even with my daughter, she's nearly five and it's the psychology of like, you know, someone wants to hug them or kiss them and they don't want to. It's like, that's her boundary. She doesn't want to hug. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. You don't make them give affection to like family, friends and uncles and people that they don't want to because I think they should learn early on that we must respect they're not in the mood to have physical contact and that's fine yeah you know I even remember kissing like relatives I didn't want to growing up oh god we've all yeah yeah everyone has to do it yeah or just some loosely connected person to some random gathering so-and-so a kiss yeah and it's like no thanks yeah (laughs) and it's the same you know and then in my adult years I remember snogging people just because I didn't want to upset them so it is the same you might not think at four that matters but it's the same psychology ingrained what a ridiculous thing to have to snog someone in a nightclub because you don't want to upset them oh come on if a guy didn't want to snog me now he'd bloody tell me (laughs) so it's just different mindset you know so yeah yeah. well I love that and your advice has been brilliant and really empowering so thank thank you you so much it's a great podcast I love the idea it's really cool great thank you thank you thanks so much to Katie and make sure you check out her own podcast Katie Piper's Extraordinary People If you like the Grazia Life Advice podcast, please help us out by subscribing, rating it, reviewing it and sharing it. It really makes a difference. See you next week for more advice from women worth listening to. Listener.